0: Welcome to the Educate to Advocate podcast. I'm Dr. Penny Stack, occupational therapist and founder of Dyslexia Center of Tulsa, where we provide team-based therapy to bring children to grade level reading. And I'm April Tate, mom of two,
1: founder of Drops of Hope and a special education advocate.
0: Hey April, let's share with everyone why we are doing the podcast. Sure, let's
1: do. Uh, We are really excited to be doing this podcast. I personally am here to connect with listeners so that you don't
0: feel alone in the process of getting your child help. And I'm here more uh, from a professional standpoint, it's almost like a grassroots initiative to broaden awareness for providers, such as therapists and teachers, that learning differences are not just about learning issues or needs. It's really about a person's lived experience.
1: So let's just go ahead and dive into today's topic. Since today is our very first podcast, uh, we thought we would... Kind of get to know each other online on air so that our, our listeners can know kind of a little bit about who we are and how we came to be in this space. You
0: know, I it's funny because I am trying to think back to when we met and how that all happened.
1: I remember you actually reached out to me on Facebook and we met for some coffee and just kind of got to know each other. And that was right before we did our very first Educate to Advocate um Conference.
0: Conference. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Because I could not remember for the life of me. So kind of taking us back to that point, I think what it was when I think about that very first Educate to Advocate conference, I was really wanting just to start having a conversation and providing resources in our community of, of what's out there that can really help and support them as parents to advocate for their children and what services are available. That may go beyond what they are already aware of, beyond what school may offer, or beyond uh, the typical after-school programs, and and to be able to have professionals on hand to answer any questions that they might have. So, looking back, which is always fun, how did you even start? How did Drops of Hope even get started?
1: <laughs> well, that's a funny life story. Um, I actually went to school to go into finance. I was in finance in my previous life before I had children and, um, I got married. We had the dream of having, starting a family and we got pregnant. We were super excited, had a great pregnancy until the very end. Everything was fine. And then everything was not fine. And we were in the hospital. We did emergency C-section. He was born with a very low chance to live. Um, he was one of the sickest babies they ever saw come out of the NICU alive. And he did it without machinery. He did it without any type of extra assistance, without any type of medication. And I left the NICU thinking that everything was fine and life was going to be normal and ready to just move on with life. And then, of course, the way these things happen, um, I started just seeing little deficits here and there, different delays, uh, different things that he was doing that made me stop and think, huh, I wonder if other kids do that. And being a first-time mom with this new baby, uh, you know, it was really hard for me to figure out what's, you know, what is typical behavior, what isn't. And um, that was really the start of my whole new life dedicated to helping families with these awesome children that need just a little bit of help.
0: You said two things that really stood out to me. One was that after you left the NICU, you just thought or hoped everything would be normal. Mm
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Draw us a picture of what normal, what you thought normal would be. What does that look like? Because I hear that from a lot of parents, mm-hmm. and them wanting everybody to accept the differences that their child has. And so, what is normal?
1: Oh, well, obviously, such because <laughs> there's a new normal, term. right? Absolutely, there is a new normal. Um, I just thought, you know, something that looking back, I felt like maybe the Nick you should have you know, providing me with some information or giving me a little bit of warning on, you know, these are some sensory things that you might see because of this NICU experience. Um, I I noticed a lot of just different sensory uh things holding his ears, um like
0: with loud noises loud and things. Loud
1: noises, sure. And I, you know, at a point I almost felt like he was kind of pulling off into his own little his own little space. And um, that was whenever I started thinking, okay, this is different than what other kids his age are doing and that was kind of whenever i had i had a pause and i thought okay i need to go talk to his doctor and um, my husband and i we call ourselves team tate (laughs) we (laughs) banded together and decided that we were going to um, throw everything that we could at um, figuring out just the ins and outs and what do we need to do from here and it literally took over my life it became who i was what i did day in and day out And it has been quite the journey. It's been easy. It's been hard. It's been happy. It's been sad. Uh, Give me 30 minutes and that will switch. It changes (laughs) almost by the minute. Um, But that's kind of how I found myself in the middle of this special needs life Um, and meeting all of these incredible parents that I work with every day
0: and learning their stories and, you know, just kind of connecting with people. So your life experience, your journey, you've kind of turn that into a process to where you can reach out and help other parents so they don't have to go through all the bumps that you went through and they have some support along the way.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell our listeners now, I am the feeler of the group. (laughs) Whenever I hear stories, I like to connect with people. I connect with their hurt. I connect with their excitement. Um, That's really what um, does that for me. It's that relationship that you build, um, not only between two parents but on an IEP team meeting i think that it's very important to build relationships there and so whenever we are talking you're very technical and very knowledgeable and to me i stop and say oh wait yeah. that's 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 a that's a weird thing for me because this is how i feel about it um so yeah it's it's uh, been quite the journey and an IEP is an individualized education program um so a lot of school age children that have parents probably listening to this uh, to this podcast or younger kids that haven't quite entered the school system yet. Um, a lot of our kids are on IEPs or 504s, which uh, is a list of accommodations. Um, and I do a lot of work in IEP team meetings, helping to build a team that is functional rather than a team that is divided and not working together to help create a be- the best environment for the kid.
0: I love your story because I think a lot of... Um parents because of their own needs uh, for their own children dive so heavily into whatever that need is, they become the expert. And that's exactly what you have done. And now you're sharing with other people. And that's very, I can, that resonates with me because that's also the story of my journey as well.
1: Yes. so Let's talk about your journey.
0: Yeah. So it was kind of crazy, kind of like you, I was an occupational therapist and I um, had my daughter and everything in my mind was fine. I I understood from my background that there's a bell curve for a reason. You have some children that are excelled and some children that lag behind, and then you have all these children in the middle. And I only had one child, and so I didn't have anything to compare it to at the time. I didn't have a career working with other children. So in my mind, as long as she was happy and growing and developing, we were good at home and we would play and... Um, finger painting and jumping in mud puddles and just all of these experiences to integrate her from a sensory standpoint, right? Not that she had any sensory needs, but as an occupational therapist, that was my background. So I kind of knew to do these things. And so, you know, happy-go-lucky and we get into kindergarten And the teacher was visiting with me and shared with me that she was really struggling with her sight words and that we may want to help her study with her sight words. And I remember thinking, we're already studying two hours a night and she's five. Yeah, Like that was tough. And what was I missing? And so I kind of didn't really put much stock into it, if you will, because again, I'm thinking, oh, but she's happy and she's growing and It's kindergarten and all she should be doing is playing anyway. So I just kind of let it go and did not feel as alarmed as the teachers felt until we hit third grade. And you know, third grade is an interesting year Mm -hmm. because that is when they are reading to learn and they are done learning to read. Yes. And I think that's when we saw things getting much more complicated and kind of that whole learning process unravel. And I could start seeing that enthusiasm to go to school and that thirst for learning. And I just saw like this overall, I don't want to say sadness, but maybe a disconnect of, it just wasn't fun anymore. And I thought, wow, you're a little kid in elementary school. Elementary school should still be fun. And, And it kind of caught my attention and I started bringing her to all sorts of professionals. It's it's the same path. It, it, I feel like it's Alice in Wonderland's, mm, yes. you know, yes. a little hole that you go down. And we went into a variety of um, services and I like to call it a misdiagnosis. And when I say a misdiagnosis, I'm not a medical doctor. I can't diagnose. So I'm not saying there's an absolute right or wrong. But when the professionals would talk to me and explain to me what was going on with my child, it didn't resonate with what I was seeing at school or what I was seeing at home. So I just followed my intuition and just kept looking Mm. and looking and looking, right? I always tell parents, trust your intuition.
1: Absolutely. No
0: one knows your kid better than you do. No matter what their credentials are, you know best. And if it doesn't make sense, keep going. Absolutely. Keep digging. And so- I actually flew her out of state. That's how, how bad this journey got, right? So we flew out of state and she was tested and she was diagnosed with dyslexia. And I didn't even know what dyslexia was. I didn't understand it at the time. And after the diagnosis as a parent, I was so relieved because, oh, I can get her help. I've got a handle on this. But when I came home, there was no help. And when I say there was no help. There were a lot of franchise systems and after school programs that said they could cure dyslexia, they could treat dyslexia, but no one was really doing standardized testing, no one was doing in depth testing. I wasn't asking the right questions. I didn't even know what to ask. Like I wish I would have had sure, you sure. at that time, right? And I forgot that I was a therapist because I, I went into mom mode.
1: Well, absolutely. They don't co. They they, 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 they don't. don't mingle.
0: They absolutely do not mingle. You're in and one so, one space or
1: the other.
0: You know, I wasn't even asking credentials of people who were working with her or their background or what their experiences were. They said they could treat. They said they could cure. I'm turning over the checks. Sure. Like money was just bleeding yeah. from our oh, pockets. Yes. And it was interesting because after, I want to say a couple of years of this, I realized she was no farther ahead than when we started. And then the light bulb went off. And I thought, you know what? Um, I'm an occupational therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's a newsflash there. I'm an OT and I know one or two things about cognition and how the brain works. And so I started looking at it from a medical perspective and I started working with her on all those executive cognitive functions required for reading, like memory and being able to process what you see and all of those things. And what I noticed is she was making progress. Awesome. And I thought, huh, if we as therapists treat clients who've had traumatic brain injuries or clients who've had, you know, strokes, and we treat the deficits that were left in their cognition from those um, life-changing events. Mm -hmm why are we not doing it for children who have cognitive issues that go on with a learning difference such as dyslexia? Why are we only treating reading and addressing reading Sure. and not all the other things required to help reading? And so I started working with her and literally, this is so funny. People were showing up at my house. I mean, not randomly. I didn't just open the door. <laughs> there were people not like that. They're
1: lined up. To but the people sidewalk. started
0: calling me and they were interested Just interested to see if I would visit with them and their child. And it just kind of became this thing that became bigger than me and bigger than just my daughter and I. And uh, this is not my full-time job, right? So I work full-time like everybody else. And then after school, I work with other children on the weekends. I work with other children and I'm tired and exhausted. And every once in a while, I'm like, I don't think I can do this anymore, right? (laughs) Because you're just tired. But then it happens. You have a child that all of a sudden is enthused about going to school. The parents tell you they're doing really good on their spelling test. You've parents say that their child's happier, they're not crying every day when they come home. They're not as exhausted. They are able to manage their homework in a reasonable amount of time. Teachers are now starting to work with them as a team and hearing them and listening to them. And when I see the impact that it makes on this child, It's more than just this one child because it impacts the whole family. This isn't just having a learning difference isn't just about that person. Just like you said, you said when you were talking about Drops of Hope and how all that emerged and you were talking about advocating for your own son, how that now became your life. Yes. Which I'm sure impacts your marriage, your relationship with your other children, (laughs) your social life. And if you have a social life, right? Like how does (laughs) that work? And so it takes over and- to make that quality of life better and to help people bridge that gap and understand that if somebody has difficulty reading, it will impact them as an adult. Can they get a job? Can they take their medication correctly? Can they um, socialize with other people and, uh, and understand how that whole dynamic goes on? More importantly, how do they value their own self-worth or how do they value their own abilities Mm -hmm. and that, that skew or that miss between, this is what I perceive, but people think differently of me. And how does that line up? Depression, anxiety and suicide run high in children who have dyslexia and so being able to bring bring this joy out of children, you know, having them rediscover that they are quite capable and increasing their ability to kind of hold on to things a little bit longer, process faster, keep up with their schoolwork, so now they feel like well, I it's, it's the word that you use and everybody uses, they feel more normal, if you will, to sure. join in life with everybody else. How can you not, I can't not do it, right? Exactly. exactly. I don't even know if that's the proper sentence, but yeah. And so I like that we have that in common. And I, I believe if I, if I remember and if I, if this is wrong, please tell me, but I, I think that is why I reached out to you. I think what happened was I may have come to that point where Because I used to go to IEP meetings and I used to advocate with my clients, and I think I I became overwhelmed, or I got to a point where I couldn't do that anymore. And I found you, and I thought,
1: "Yay, Yay. Yay! I came to your office, and we we talked for a bit, and you said, "Fantastic! Can I have your card? Can I have your pamphlet? Can I pass out your name?" And I was so excited to give that information to you. A couple of things that you said. That really stuck out to me was you were talking about your parental instinct, and I have to tell you, it is so important. I started this journey with my little kid um, about 18 months and I took him to the doctor initially. And this doctor was not having what I had to say. I was explaining to him the sensory things that I was seeing. I was concerned about his his uh, speech. I was concerned about a number of things. and the doctor was like, oh, will be fine. But I left just knowing in my heart.
0: Like they'll grow out of it. Just yes, try hard, just yes. get over it. Oh yeah. He'll I hear get that there. A lot. He is fine. Yeah. He
1: is he's great. He'll be he'll be fine. Um, but just I left with such a heavy heart and I was driving home and I knew I've got goosebumps right now because I knew in my heart that I could not stop where he left me. And so I took up this, you know. This idea that I needed to figure out what I needed to figure out. And it took a lot of, you know, walking into closed doors, into, you know, wrong turns. But eventually we found services that really made a big difference for for our little guy. And without that instinct, I don't know where he would be today. I know for certain he would not be the amazing, bright, crazy. Funny. Funny
0: funny is super funny
1: funny. yes (laughs) Yes. that he is today I think he would be much different and you know you were also talking about the suicide rates and depression and anxiety being high with children with dyslexia but I would say that that is across the board I feel like any of our children or even adults that feel just fundamentally different than what they perceive the, the norm to be all really struggle with those types of of awful problems that we don't want for our children. And I think, you know, part of, part of us bringing this awareness out and making it something that we can talk about and we can accept is so important to getting to the bottom of that self-worth. When people understand they, they value things differently. Whenever you don't understand something, you're like, I don't know about that.
0: Or if it's not meaningful to them, it doesn't even need to be understanding. Sometimes Just to have an open mind, just for that person that you bring your child to, they're the professional, you're hoping that they will have that open mind. To be open to think differently. Absolutely. Or to feel in that person's shoes makes all the difference,
1: all of the difference, not only for these children, but for their parents. Oh, yes. For their siblings, for anyone and everyone that's just totally connected to them. And so those were just really interesting points that stood out
0: to me whenever you um, were talking about your your history. I'm curious, you know, I think the key points that I've heard is trusting your gut. Absolutely. Right. That's the big one. And keep asking questions. Yes. I think those are the key points that kind of stood out to me.
1: Asking questions, I mean, I feel like a lot of parents that I work with, I have two types of parents that, well, maybe three types of parents (laughs) that I work with. Um, The first is the go-getter. That's people like the two of us who say, oh, there's something going on. We're going to attack it. We're going to figure out everything that we can about it. We're going to try and fix this problem, which don't get me started. (laughs) Um, But that's where you start. That is your, that's your beginning phase. Um, I also have parents who are so overwhelmed by a diagnosis or even just by symptoms that they don't know what to do and they shut down because it's too big for them and they don't know how to handle things um and so a lot of times they will not ask questions they don't want to move forward they're just closing their eyes and hoping that it's going to work out okay kind of like they're frozen yes yes they don't know what else to do so they are just taking a deep breath and gonna just play the long game
0: curious so dyslexia is genetic developmental dyslexia is genetic. And I have learned over the years, especially when I meet with parents for conference for the first time and we're going over their child's results, yes, to be mindful that this is emotional for them Absolutely. and could be overwhelming. And so when you talk about the parent who's kind of frozen, I wonder if part of that is they also have a similar learning difference, um, whatever that might be, and that they don't even know where to start. And that's... Part of why they're overwhelmed. Now,
1: I I don't have a statistic to support this, right. but I will tell you of all of maybe not all of of a, the majority of parents that I work with, I can oftentimes draw a line between what the child is dealing with and what the parent how the parent comes to me, and it's not just with dyslexia. I can see it in all different kinds of right. learning disabilities. Um, and you're right. I think whenever you yourself have really struggled in the past, I think that there's a fear of oh no. My kid is going to struggle like I struggled or, you know, there's all kinds of fears. But at at the bottom, the bottom line is the earlier we can get your kid help, the the better that you understand what's going on with him or her, the better outcome this child has and the more supported that they feel. And when they're supported, then they also have, you know, higher self-esteem, they have less anxiety, less depression, all of these things it just kind of rolls down this big hill into a giant ball. And it just
0: becomes more and more positive the more that you pour into it. I would agree. And I think I, I'm really glad we had an opportunity to just really share with our listeners a little bit about us and where we're coming from and and why we why this podcast is important to us and why we feel so close to our heart to share. Yeah, And so- But in the end, this podcast is really about them. Yes. Right? Yes. And so...
1: I think, um, I think we should probably start to wrap up. Um, I'd like to just kind of talk real quick about um, a couple of key points that I took away, and I think we've already
0: yeah, kind of yeah, covered
1: this, sure. but just you know, the instinct, the, just listening to your instinct, um, and then something else that you said that I haven't yet mentioned is you said, you talked about treating the whole problem rather than just the reading, and I think that that's so crucial in any type of struggle that a child is having. A lot of people say, well, this is just behavioral. No, it's not just behavioral. They're so much of other things that are feeding into it, and so just the idea—if something's happening—that we start to step back and look at it more than just the behavior, and see where that's fitting in the entire cycle of all that's going on with the child.
0: So. Yeah, I, I like to kind of leap off that key point and, and put another key point. Sure, sure. I, I talked about my We've two key points this. already. I'm like, oh, <laughs> but I have another one. So great comment that you made about behaviors, and so I like to distinguish behaviors and characteristics, and in my mind. When you have a child who isn't processing the world around them, maybe the the work we're asking them to do is too hard, or maybe there's too much noise in the room, or it's they're just not able to move forward because they can't process everything going on. I like to call those characteristics because it's not a choice. They're, they're not choosing to do that, to sure. act out, or whatever that is. And when we when we work with our kiddos to see beyond that, exactly what you said one of the questions I get asked often is, where do you even start? And you start there. You just start where they are. You start by starting. You start by starting. <laughs> that's right. You start by starting. And, and it's meeting them where they are, and just asking the question, what this is like for them? Because our agenda is going to be quite different than their agenda. And that's a great place to find out what's meaningful to them and to really address the whole person.
1: Perfect. Well, um, we hope that you leave, to, leave us today feeling empowered to advocate. And we thank you for making us a small part of your
0: day. We would love to hear from you and what's on your mind. Email us your questions at and comments at educate 2 at gmail.com. Listen for your topic to be on a future podcast. You can also connect with
1: us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, and you can find our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and Alexa.